I am really nervous to talk about Star Trek Voyager. You should be. No, I'm excited. I, I, I really, I see this as a show with a lot of potential, and I'm kind of eager to see it be squandered. Well, you won't be disappointed okay. in, in that. That I mean, it will be disappointing, but you won't be disappointed in in seeing it squander its potential. Okay. What what potential do you see in the show? I kind of I I think this has a lot of so. So kind of the main themes of all of the different series. The original series, we are dealing with exploring the frontier. The Federation is is a power. It's making its strides a little deeper into space, but space is still pretty dangerous. There are still a lot of things that they don't know and understand. Okay, uh, next generation comes in, and that's a much more settled corner of the galaxy. That's The Federation is very powerful during that, probably the... Uh, in Insurrection, for example, they talk about how, yes, we're smelling blood on the Federation. By the time that and, – and towards the end of Next Generation is the era that blood is on the Federation. But at the very beginning, it's it's the highest point that we've ever seen it. DS9 is dealing with powers outside of the Federation and the Federation starting to get some serious ideological challenges. Mm-hmm. I can see Voyager as being – how one keeps one's morality and keeps Federation values away from the Federation. In other words, this could be a very character is what you are in the dark kind of a show, um, especially considering with some of the conversations between Janeway and the caretaker. Oh, children need to grow up. They need to be on their own. Janeway and all of her crew have had been under the aegis of the Federation this entire time. They're in a place where when they meet Neelix, he doesn't even know what the Federation is. Nobody's heard of this. They To say I'm Captain Janeway of the United Federation of Planets, that's a great sounding title, but nobody respects it. They don't, they're just one little ship with no one to protect them. And how can they still... I can see a lot of challenges to the Federation viewpoint that they could very easily get away with. And can they still keep... For example, they talk about the Prime Directive. We barely heard that in Deep Space Nine. It's interesting to hear it mentioned again. And what is the incentive to keep the Prime Directive when they are so far from home? They have such a serious journey ahead of them. And if what if they get in a situation where violating the Prime Directive will allow them to get home? Yes, in this in this episode, they decide to go for the Prime Directive over their their own comfort. They choose the needs of the many over the needs of the few. But this is their first week. You know what is going to happen in season five when they are faced with that challenge? Yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. I I, I guess that's what I see the show as being able to. I, I think if, I feel like this is not going to be as thoughtful of a version of that as I kind of want there to be. Uh, it will not be. Uh, and I. I like I'll put get this out of the way. I like Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not objectively a good show, I, I don't think. Um and I also don't think that it's you know, I like shows that are more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. I think this is the first Star Trek show that that is not true of. Okay. And it's interesting to hear you say that you think that they were upholding the prime directive by destroying the caretaker array for example. Well, I actually disagree. Whether they were or and, not, they were keeping the prime directive uh, that that was something they discussed and dealt with. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that yeah, that's fair. I, I want to kind of approach the Star Trek Voyager podcasts a little differently because I never really brought up 
things that were happening in the future with with the next generation primarily because it, it didn't matter there there wasn't really any sort of serialization or, or mm-hmm. long-term storytelling going on and i i very deliberately uh gave you almost no information about what was going to be coming on deep space nine because one of the joys of deep space yeah. nine is seeing that seven year story unfold and so with Star Trek Voyager, I want to handle it a little differently. I, I think that I want to start out talking about Caretaker, the pilot of Star Trek Voyager, by saying that, A, it's about four different shows. You know, the show had four different showrunners over its seven mm-hmm. years, which is a lot. Uh, it, it never really, I think, comes into itself. I, I don't think the show ever really has a good grasp on why it exists other than to make paramount and upn money Mm -hmm. and i don't say that in a cynical way i I think that the show is still a worthy star trek show i think that for all of its faults and all of its messes that we will see i i do think that they were trying to do something and if they weren't always completely successful at it or, or mostly not successful at it I don't know that we can really criticize the show for not going in the direction that we think it should have gone. Well, one of the things that I, I find is, I mean, I want to get this out of the way really quickly is that, you know, you talking about, oh, well, this is one ship in, in the, you know, a part of the galaxy that, that doesn't know about the Federation, mm-hmm. doesn't know about Starfleet. Um, that is true. And that is something that the show doesn't forget. But it's also not a driving force of the show. It's not something that the show is very interested in dealing with very much. Hmm. And really what it boils down to is that Star Trek Voyager is warmed over next generation. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, I think that Voyager has a lot of good episodes. And I think that there are, especially in, and this is kind of a controversial statement, but I think the Brian and Braga run seasons of the show are the best. Because he was trying to do something interesting and he had a lot of experience on Star Trek and he was chomping at the bit to kind of put his own stamp okay. on it. And it's the kind of show that, again, is it is. I mean, it's going to be interesting to, to cover it in, in this kind of format, because frankly, I don't know that a lot of people have done it before. Um, you know, there's a web, there's a website out there called Jammers Reviews, which covered Star Trek Voyager, I believe, when it was on the air. Um, but but aside from that, I'm okay. not really aware of of any uh, you know episode by episode coverage of Star Trek Voyager. I'm sure it's out there, but I just don't know of it. So it is the kind of thing where you look at it and you say, you know, where where, where is this going to go? Where do you think it's going to go? Is I think going to be very different than than where it does go? Yeah, because it's, so far it seems like they have a very specific main quest. Their main quest is they've been launched into this other part of the galaxy they need to get home the the best clue that they have is that there is another being like the caretaker and so the meta plot will be kind of figuring out where the caretaker this other caretaker is if anybody knows about that they'll be going from planet to planet kind of asking around you can see if this is a video game you can see how it would be structured that would be your main quest and then the others are a little every episode would be a little side quest for example and I guess I'm getting the sense by the look on your face, it's not really that invested in the meta plot. No. And see, now now I almost get the sense that the reason they're putting this in the Delta Quadrant is not, again, to make statements about, you know, what? Wh- how do you keep civilization when you're far from civilization, which is a 
theme that's been treated by so much literature and and TV and movies that but still it could make its own stamp on that especially given that you know Star Trek is so focused on a very particular morality how do we keep again how do we keep that morality when nobody's going to notice whether we are or not and it may be even harmful to our overall mission yeah well uh, i i think that there's a i mean i want to ground the conversation you know by by going back to caretaker because mm-hmm. that is why we're here and and i think that one of the things that's difficult about star trek voyager is that the the show was really i think hampered by the fact that it was Deep Space Nine was not popular, mm-hmm. on, you know, on, on the network. Well, not the network side, but the, the studio side. You know, Rick Berman uh, famously has said that that he basically could not control Iris Stephen Bear. That that Bear was doing, you know, whatever he wanted yeah. to do on Deep Space Nine, and it turned out that it was usually very wonderful. But it, it, it definitely wasn't the type of Star Trek show that people were used to seeing, and it was a very it was a very sort of challenging Star Trek yeah. show in a lot of ways. It, it really upended a lot of the tropes and a lot of what people expected from a show that had Star Trek in the title. And Star Trek Voyager was really designed partly to counteract that. They're back on a ship. Mm-hmm. They are part of the reason why they wanted to put it in the Delta Quadrant. This whole setup of them being sent 70,000 light years away from the Federation yeah. was to get them away from known space, to get them away yeah. from that and to go back to that really original series idea of being out and before exactly. You know, I mean the, the speech that Janeway gives at the end of the episode and it's almost a reboot in that way then it is. But, but the other half of that of course is that they, they do try and dirty it up a little bit with the Maquis stuff and things like Mm -hmm. that. But again, they almost completely jettison at the end of the episode. And so it's, it's a show that has very, very, it's it has tendencies that are at war with each other, and mm-hmm. I think you see that in this pilot. Even I mean, like what you said about the caretaker, the other caretaker that's out there. Yeah, you know, you take that as, and we just came off Deep Space Nine, so you're taking that as, oh, they're going to be on this quest to find the next caretaker. No, it's not that at all. Yeah, they want they put that in the episode because they wanted to give themselves an out in case the show did badly, and they wanted to send it back to the Alpha Quadrant. Okay, like it's that kind of stuff. It's a much more. Star Trek Voyager is a much more calculated show than Deep Space Nine ever was mm. in that way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so in other words, it's the end of the season. You know, we're going to be canceled. All right. Well, we'll just make a final episode where the caretaker appears. And No, I mean, I actually mean like if, if the show had been doing badly, like okay. they would have sent the ship back to the Alpha Quadrant. And then dealt with. Okay. And that's where the show would take place. <laughs> yeah. They never do that, but they, okay. they could have done that. Okay. I get that. Um, yeah. It's a show it's a show that is trying to both do interesting things with Star Trek and trying to play it a little too safe. Yeah, yeah, cuz I can definitely see that. Again, it seems like they're trying to create a because of how well Deep Space 9 did the world building. And I mean, beginning this, I I was really exci- I'm really excited for a new Star Trek show. There is still a, a Christmas present sure, feeling yeah. about this. Um and even the world, especially in the Alpha Quadrant sections at the beginning, I in the first part of the episode, it feels very lived in. I mean, we're back at Quarks for a scene, even when we're – this is the first time we see a, a penal colony, for example, but we've heard so much about them that it feels like, all right, this is another thing. That, you know, the talk about the Maquis and all, that that feels like when, – when, by the way, was this uh, – So 
Here's the story on the Maquis, and this is something that I never really brought up because I wanted to get the Voyager to talk about it. The Maquis was created for the pilot of Star Trek Voyager. Like They they seeded it throughout The Next Generation in Deep Space Nine because of this reason. And again, it's one of those things where you see the show at odds with itself, at war with itself, because... They created this entire, yeah, you know, sort of convoluted th- backstory of the Maquis with the Cardassian Treaty with the Federation yeah. and the whole Eddington stuff and all that stuff, really, uh, with Ensign Rowe. And, you know, and, and they created it for Star Trek Voyager to set up a way to have conflict between the crew. And what did they do at the end of the pilot? They put yeah. them all in Star Starfleet uniforms, and, 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 and not, they never really talk about it again. And so, sorry, and especially because. Not only are they in, they they seem a little more comfortable on that. They seem to very easily put aside their differences. And gee, you know, this is bigger than because let's face it, the Maquis and Federation conflicts are utterly irrelevant this far from home. It doesn't really matter who owns what planet at this point because they they're they they're seventy five years away from their planet. So and, and also, for example, the the, the, the half Klingon woman. Belana Torres. Belana Torres. She and Kim start to get along pretty well towards the end of the episode, and she's at least going to be Chakote and uh, Paris become friends towards the end, and they're going to have their little conflicts bits from time to time. But they'll so yeah, there is not as much friction in, in that. It it feels like it feels really weird that they would have set this up. Yeah, I mean they could have just had them be some colonists or something. And yeah, it it's it, to me it's. I mean I'm not saying that they completely jettison the Maquis stuff. The show never forgets that the Maquis yeah. existed. It's not like they retcon it out of existence and never talk about it again. The show does deal with it at certain points, but. It, it's not the kind of thing where you look at it and say, why did they set this up? Yeah. Well, you know, they obviously wanted to, or it seems to me that they wanted to set up this sort of uh, really strong philosophical difference. They really wanted people that were, uh, you know, fundamentally at odds with the the, the philosophy of the mm-hmm. Federation. And they get rid of that very quickly. And yeah. if they just wanted some people that were not in Starfleet, they could have done it another way. Tattoo crooks or whatever, bandits. Right. And go. so it, it, it just feels kind of strange that, you know, and a part of it too is that I think with the pilot, there's nine main characters in this yeah. show. That's a lot of main characters. They deliberately, as I understand it, didn't really spend any time uh, giving any of them a personality in the pilot except for Tom Paris and Janeway. And I don't really, I mean, they wanted to make it sort of this action adventure romp and these kind of things. And it's, it's all very, like, I don't think this is a very good pilot. I mean, in, yeah. in certain ways it is and in certain ways it's not. Well, I get, uh, uh, not to cross promote to our other podcast tuning in that much, but nine characters, that's the number of characters in Firefly, for example. Now, which wasn't that many years after this, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, this was 1995 and Firefly was 2002. Okay, yeah, so seven years later. I guess that's, you know, enough difference. But I think Firefly does a better job at giving us very clear snapshots of who these characters are in their couple of scenes and then over the rest of the episodes, you know, deepens that characterization. But, um, and partially this is because I saw Firefly several times, but... Yeah, there's there's Harry Kim who's nice and plays the clarinet. There's Torres who's fiery and she feels ashamed of her Klingonness. You know, Paris is pretty much Ensign Rowe except a blonde dude. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember this. You probably don't because you're bad with faces. But the actor who plays Tom Paris was the same actor who played uh, Locarno in the first Duty. 
from that episode of TNG. Okay, I knew he was really familiar. And he was supposed to be Locarno. Okay. But for some reason, I think... I think Paramount, See, because that makes sense, yeah. Well, I think Paramount lawyers, if I remember this correctly, I, I think the Paramount lawyers said that if they used the character of Locarno in Star Trek Voyager, they would have to pay a royalty to the author who wrote the first duty, like every single episode of Star Trek Voyager, huh. which, which seems weird to me, but, you know, yeah. that's, I mean, I'm sure it's true. So they... Well, jettisoned if, that idea and created a new character. Yeah. I mean, even if they, it, it was open to that, you know, give, give that writer a good enough lawyer and they will get something for Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, there, there, and again, part of it is it is a pilot and there's a lot of stuff. And the pilot is very invested in the mystery of what is going on on this array, on this planet, why they're there. And so it does spend a lot of time actually on its plot, and so the characters do get slight, slightly downplayed in favor of that. Um, I, I, I don't know how well the show is going to end up using its ensemble. I mean, we'll, we'll not, we, not well. So it's not like we'll get Janeway episodes and Tuvok episodes and Torres episodes, you know, and all of that like ne- we did with Next Gen. I, I you know. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I want to go too much into it. I mean that that I will not say that that we do get those kind okay. of episodes. But it, well, let's talk about who's showrunning this because I think that's kind of the elephant in the room. So Michael Pillar create co created Star Trek Voyager yeah. with Jerry Taylor and, and and Rick Berman. And you know Rick Berman was still not super involved in the creative side a little bit at this yeah. point, but he certainly was much more involved in like Enterprise, for example. He like wrote episodes with Brian and Brian mm-hmm. and stuff. So this might be more like, yes, well, you need a blonde dude for the audience to identify with kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of coming up with some of the, some of the backstory of Voyager yeah. and things like that. But if you remember back from our Next Generation podcast, Michael Piller was the man who came on as showrunner in the third season of TNG and turned it into a character-based show. Yeah. And that was the right choice for the show. Now, you look at Star Trek Voyager and you say, okay, Michael Piller co-created Deep Space Nine and he showrun that for two years. Yeah. Then he moved over to showrunning Voyager. And so you kind of have to put it in that context where, okay, Michael Piller is showrunning this show. Yeah. What, what does that mean? What What are we going to look out for? And... At least from this pilot, I I don't I don't see a lot of Michael Pillar in it, which is strange. Yeah, they for someone who was so focused on character, and you know, again, I think that deliberately so they they de- decided to downplay the character elements in favor of an action adventure story. But that's not where Michael Pillar's strengths lie as a writer, yeah. and so it it the the action adventure part of the pilot just comes across as a little underdeveloped yeah and 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 also if the show isn't as interested in its characters then why are there nine of them in a way like if if it's going for a more original series where you know yeah okay so we're gonna have Janeway Tuvok in Paris and that's gonna be the trio around which the series is run and then every so often we'll check in with Torres or we'll check in with Harry Kim or whatever but they're pretty much treated as Yahura or um Chekhov was you know they'll have their little side adventures and then, you know, maybe you only need six characters or whatever. But if, you, if you're not interested in a very large cast who are going to develop and they're going to be a motley family, as was the case with TNG or Deep Space Nine, again, why are there so many of them? I, I think that's a good question. And, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I think that, you know, keep that in mind, I think, is all I'll say about that. Yeah. Because it, it is possible that the show is going to go in that direction. 
Okay. Uh, and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Because right now, what's the difference between Chakotay and Tom Paris besides their race? Well, yeah. And I, I, I want to talk about the choice on the pilot to really have it be told from the point of view of Tom Paris, which I yeah. think is, is, is kind of strange. And, and I'm not really sure why they made that choice. I, 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 I get the impression or the kind of my understanding or my theory about it is that they wanted to Tom Paris is the audience standing. Character. Yeah. He is the, the every man who's not there. a Starfleet guy. He was, you know, he, he was in the Academy and was cashiered out because he, he accidentally killed someone. Then he went to the Maquis and was, was uh, uh, arrested during his first raid. Now he's in a penal colony. He's a fuck up essentially. Yeah. And he's got a lot of, you know, daddy issues surrounding his Admiral father and Starfleet. Okay. I, I'll buy all that. Um, but for a star- for a show like this to have the the pilot episode be told from his point yeah. of view is is just a little weird. Well, it seems like again, I I mean, this is some obviously in sexism in it. I would assume because it almost true again. Rick Berman is here. It almost feels like yes. Well, it was the last show we had helmed by a black man, and now you know. All right, we need to have a woman captain. That's fine. That's the next logical progression. And I really do like that decision, but you know, we, we nobody watches DS9, and we really want to hook people, and they're not going to want to watch a female-led show. And so, again, let's have the blonde white dude be the... I, I mean, that almost seems yeah. like... A, and again, he's... You're right, Tom Paris isn't the hero. He's not this great, super-confident hotshot. He does some things... He w- thinks he is. He thinks he is, but I... Well, he's he's of that... I'd say it's more he very desperately wants to be and hopes he is, but knows that he's had, whether he attributes it to luck or, you know, he is a fuck up. What, to whatever he attributes his downfall, he does know that he has had a downfall. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, to move aside from Tom Paris for a minute, I, I think that one of the other weird things about the pilot is that it doesn't give any effort in trying to convince us that the characters that die are important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very transparently done. You know, the, the first officer, you know, Tom Paris gets this whole big introduction. Janeway gets this whole big introduction. Chakotay, Balana, and Tuvok open up the episode, open mm-hmm. up the pilot of the show. Those are the first three characters that we see. They are obviously being developed. And then we see the first officer. He basically has two lines and then he's killed. Yeah. We meet the doctor and he's killed. We yeah. meet the, the uh, Betazoid Ensign, whose name I don't even remember. And, and the only real beat that she has is Tom Paris hitting on her. And then she's killed. And I would have liked, I mean, I'm not going down a road of trying to fix the episode, but I, I, I almost would have liked to have seen more of an effort to have established those as real people yeah. and then have it be surprising that they were going to be killed. For example, I, I, I thought for a while that Harry Kim was going to be killed, that, okay, they're setting him up to be the red shirt and it's going to be very sad. And for every so often, especially the bit Janeway has where she realizes I barely knew him. I talked to his mom. She was He played the clarinet. Like, again, learning things about him and recognize, realizing that There are so many people around her that she – I mean I think this is an interesting note for her character. It's not that she hasn't gotten to know people because, you know, they're below her or because she feels that, you know, she doesn't want to connect in the same way that Picard was a little reluctant to – she just – 
hasn't thought about it. You know, she's been really busy and she regrets that. And she's, if Harry Kim is killed over the course of the episode, he's going to kind of become a symbol and a reason for her to, you know, I need to know who these people are that I, that I'm in charge of. They do. She does specifically have a line that, you know, Oh, I, I'm the, I'm their superior officer. They're under my care. Yeah. Um, she is taking a kind of in loco parentis, uh, and and so I thought that's where Harry Kim was going to go, but no, they were characterizing him because he's a character, right? And, and for again, going back to Firefly, uh, one of the characters turns out to be a an agent, and he's killed at the end of the episode, and he's given some characterization too. Like I thought they would have done that kind of a thing. The Doctor, you're right; he's hostile. He has two lines, and then he's gone. We don't even, I don't think, get a name. No, we don't. We don't at all. And one of the things that I think is is most interesting about the Star Trek Voyager pilot is the fact that, you know, this is not a typical, it's not a typical one because, you know, let's remember in the pilot of TNG, Picard was just coming on as captain of the Enterprise. So was Riker. In Deep Space Nine, Cisco was going to Deep Space Nine. And in Voyager, she's already captain of the ship. She's already got her crew. They've already got this working relationship. And then I don't know that the episode really has enough enough depth or goes into it at least at all that she has really lost yeah. her first officer that she would have relied on we don't know how long they were working together but assumedly it was a while at least you know things like yeah, that yeah i mean all kind of wrote and like by the numbers i got the sense almost that this was a new ship for her not you know it wasn't her first day but maybe this is two months in and this is their first really big mission that they're you know they've just gotten out of shakedown and then they're now they're going actually and that was almost the sense i got but the fact that you know, we're not sure. And the fact that it doesn't really matter, I think, that you're right, that's telling. Yeah, I think it is telling. And, and I mean, let's talk about Janeway. I think that Janeway is, she is a really interesting character. I, I wonder about what you think about her so far. I'm still, tr- obviously, we, she is obviously going to be compared with Kirk, Picard, Sis, and Cisco, right? I mean, that's her. As the lead, she's she's the next captain. She's the uh, again the, the I like her. I get the feeling she's the kind of people that people person that people who don't like her call her a bitch a lot. I don't think of her as one, if you know what I mean. Like, and yeah, you don't hate women. No, I don't hate women. Uh, I think it's interesting that she said to come from more of an explicit science background. Yeah. That's a difference because, again, Kirk was the all-action. He was a little more of, uh, you know, fisticuffs and in there and the cowboy. Picard is the diplomat. Cisco yeah. is the military strategist. And she's going to, you know, you, you said at one point the Technobabble and Voyager gets very, and I can already see that. But she's throwing out the Technobabble with the best of them in the way that none of the other captains we've seen have been able to do. Um, and again, I think that fits with her personality as somebody who realizes that she's been too busy in order to connect with the people. She is the kind of person who is going to be fascinated by a technical problem, but you know, it, it will slip her mind to actually deal with the person who's telling her about it. Yeah, I, I think all that's right. And there's a couple things that intrigue me about her character. And, and I, you know, I want to go on the record as saying that I, I like... I like Janeway a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know that her character is always well served by the material that she's given, but but I think Kate Mulgrew yes. is she definitely elevates. She the role, she's yeah. really good in it, and um, 
you know, interestingly enough, and this is a side note, uh, she was not the first choice for Janeway. And uh, Genevieve Bujold was given the role. I'm not sure who She's a French-Canadian actress. She m- mostly does movies. Okay. Um, she's, I think she's probably in her 70s now. Okay. And uh, it, it's really interesting because they really, she was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not as much of a big deal anymore, yeah. but but she was a big deal back in the, in the 80s and 90s. And it was like a, a real thing that they wanted to get this movie star yeah. to, to be their captain. And, you know, to his credit, Rick Berman was arguing very strongly against it. He said, this woman is not going to be able to uh, uh, handle the rigors of, you know, episodic yeah. television. You are on set 16, 18, 20 hours yeah. a day, six days a week for seven years. There's no time to rehearse. You know, it's very yeah. tiring, all of these things, right? And this is a woman who has not, you know, I'm not criticizing Genevieve Bujold. She is a great actress and and certainly she's really good in, in, in movies, but it's just a different, it's a different working style, really. And, yeah. and he didn't think that she was equipped to deal with it. And um, they cast her as Janeway. And uh, I, I didn't show you this because I didn't want you to, to get colored by it, but they're actually, she filmed for two days. Okay. And there is footage of her as captain. And it's a very the show would have gone down a very different path if she had been the captain of okay. the show. Um, Kate Mulgrew, and then of course she basically left. She was like, "I can't do this." Yeah, and she just two days of she it quit. decided. Yeah, and you know, okay, right. And 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 you know, Rick Berman likes to crow and say that he was right. <laughs> he, he was right. You know, to his credit. No, I'll give him that. But one. Uh, Kate Mulgrew came in. She read again. She hit it out of the park. I, in a sense, I think that. She does the best job of any of the actors that have played captains in any of the previous Star Trek shows before Mm. in really coming out of the gate very strongly with a fully formed character that feels different and authentic. And I like her performance in this episode quite a bit. I mean, the scene where she's with, we'll talk about Tuvok, because I know you're very excited to meet Tuvok. But, you know... Yeah, is he going to be in this show? I mean, he comes in the second episode then, right? Are you kidding? No, I thought this was one of those where they introduced the rest of the cast in the next one. Tuvok was in this? You really don't know? Who <laughs> Are you no. serious? I just don't get why he's the fan favorite. He's not the fan favorite. <laughs> why is he the only character I knew? I don't know. <laughs> That's why I was so weirded out by it for years. <laughs> where did you come up with this? I, I don't know. Anyway, I think you were reading TV tropes and saw Tuvok on there once and it just got locked <laughs> into your head about Star Trek Voyager. But... You know, she she does a lot of really good work, yeah. and I think that the scene with her and Tuvok yes. towards the end of the episode is really strong. I think that the scene that that kind of opens uh, the episode after the the cold open with her and Tom Paris is really strong. I think that her talking to her her boyfriend, fiance, whoever yeah. that is, is really strong stuff. I really like her interactions with Neelix, where she's just utterly amused by him and trying not to crack a smile at him. I mean, I, I think that says a lot about her character. She's... She's wry. Yeah, that's the exact, yeah. And I, I like that. Yeah. I, she's, I mean, she's kind of a Catherine Hepburn type. Yeah. Way, but. I can see that. I like the, and you know what I like about it also is that, and the show does a really good job with this, you know, I think Janeway is the one thing that this show usually gets really right mm. in that she is a sort of, um, you know, she really is sort of a feminist icon, I think, for a lot of Star Trek fans. Yeah. And I can see why. And I, she's a very strong character. She is not. There's no question that she is the captain. She is not really. Um, yeah. I don't even want to say that she's not feminized because that is. Well, no, because there is the exchange with Kim when he calls her, and that you know, 
calling female officers sir is something that's always like pricked up my ears as we've always seen. I know that's a military tradition and I know it's the intent, I guess, is, you know, don't worry about, you know, whether to go, you know, in in the heat of a battle, that's really irrelevant. Just call everybody sir and it's fine. She's the only one who's actually mentioned anything about that. And, you know, when he suggests calling her ma'am, she says, no, that's in crunch time. Call me captain. It, that's very that's not insignificant yeah i mean i think my favorite line of janeway's in the entire episode is it's not crunch time yeah <laughs> and then also towards the end when she gives the command to paris he calls her ma'am and it's crunch time at that point right yeah. right so i you know which which goes to show i guess how much paris is a little more Streetwise isn't quite the word, but he's not quite as green as Harry Kim may be because, again, he recognizes when it's really crunch time, when things need to be serious. Yeah, yeah. Well, Harry Kim, I I think, is supposed to be right out of the academy. Yes. Well, let's. His mother called to make sure he brought his clarinet. I mean, that's all. That that's how old Harry Kim is. People say helicopter parenting is bad in the twenty (laughs) first century. I. Let's run down the list. Let's get that out of the way. Um, you know, we've already talked about Janeway. We've already talked about Paris. Uh, Chakotay, he's a character in the show. Uh, how do we feel about how many jokes Paris makes about Chakotay being Indian? Because he made I the first. I don't feel good about he it. He made one joke, and I'm like, okay, you know. I'll let that one slide because maybe I didn't hear it right. You know, it's like when Troy said about her boobs being, and then, you know, then he makes it like, well, can't you people turn into a bird? And I'm like, <sighs> after when you consider that the episode, which introduced the con, the treaty, which created the Maquis was about native Americans being forced out of their lands. It's very awkward. Uh, I will. Ju- I agree with all of that, and I, I, I do want to say that um, I think that Chakotay is one of the more problematic characters Star Trek has ever created. Yeah, they never really know what to do with him, and uh, it's never defined exactly what tribe he's from. He's an Indian, and it, that's all it really goes into. And it's a problem. And it, I'll just leave it at that. It's almost like how um, the characterization of Chekhov was. He's Russian. Except yeah. that was 1968, and you know they were trying to at least say, "Well, we'll become, you know, we'll be, we'll unite with Russia." Even that's how united the world is. And okay, give give them that pass. This it's it's a little strange. Yeah, uh, we'll leave it aside there. We've already talked about Belana a little bit. She doesn't really have much of a character in this episode. She's half Klingon. Yeah. she's angry, and then she feels bad. About and then it. she feels bad about it. That's all we know about her. Uh, there's Neelix and Kess, who... I like. I think he's kind of the quirk of this series. In a way. He's more... Though I... he's He seems much more benign than Quark ever was. I mean, I... I, I he, he will be out for himself and for Kess, but at least... I, but I think he's... He's at least genuine and sweet in his own way. Like, I, I don't think he has any evil hidden agenda. Okay. He's not going to screw over the rest of the cast. Now watch if he does. I, but <laughs> I, I think that's fair. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't I mean, I will say that that uh, as, as little as there is to say about the characters and really just running down the list more to establish them in your mind and the, mm-hmm. the audience's mind than anything else. But uh, all of the performances, I think, are very good. Yeah. This is a very strong cast. And 
the actor who plays Neelix is even escaping my mind at this point, but he does a very good job with Neelix. He recognizes that he's Ethan the comic. Phillips. Okay. He recognizes he's the comic relief, but he doesn't overdo it or ham it up as much as, for yeah. example, he would have if this were next generation. And I find it, 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 it isn't. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I find it's kind of interesting that the show is already finding these pairings that, that yeah. sort of work. I mean, you've got Tom Paris and, and uh, Kim that are yeah. sort of becoming friends. You've got uh, Kim, uh, and Bellana. Kim and Bellana. You've got a sort of weird relationship between Tuvok and Neelix. Obviously, Neelix and Kess have a relationship. Yeah. Cass, again, is not much of a character in this episode. She is a little bit of a damsel in distress, and that's about it. And it's a little problematic, but it is what it is. But I I would say she becomes a damsel in distress because of her... I I, I don't consider it the show to be punishing her for her curiosity in a way. like Especially because it's not punishing Janeway for her curiosity, and she ends up on the ship in a way which she will be able to, you know, indulge that. She's going to see, she she and Neelix kind of stay on the ship because that's the way they're going to have, you know, do the, she's going to see the most stuff by being on the ship. If she wants to see the outside world, she's in a perfect place for that. And she's going to figure out what she kind of does best there. I, yeah, I think that's right. And and we'll just have to see where that goes, of course. Um, aren't and, we told that her people live nine years, by the way? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's only supposed to be like I think six months old or something. Okay, it's a little strange. So enough to give her the cushion of she can be there through the end of the series. But if they all if she wants to leave, they can very easily kill her off. Right, right. And uh, I think the only other character we haven't mentioned is the Doctor. Yeah. Now, this is the third time I've seen the actor. Yeah, okay. Uh, one being First Contact, his cameo, and the other, that episode in DS9 where we see the actual. Yep. So this is a very interesting way to get introduced to that character. Um, I don't know if I would have paid that much attention to him if I had... Like, I, I would have thought he would be a gimmick if I didn't know that he actually became a character. I think that's probably fair. And and he is a gimmick in this episode, yes. to be fair. I mean, he has sort of comic relief. He's the, you know, gruff yeah. doctor that nobody really cares about because he's not real because he's a hologram. Yeah. Uh, I think the show, one of the things, I, I will say that I think the show does interesting things with him. Mm-hmm. And that's one area of the show that I really like. So, yeah. I like his personality. It's just slightly annoyed. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going, uh, I, I like that he's not angry or frustrated, but he just has that little edge, you know? And also... I mean, obviously, we we have a little bit of other knowledge of this because of Vic Fontaine from DS Nine, mm. but you know, it's not really it's not really focused on or spoken of. Like, is he actually a person or not? Like yeah. right now, he's not. He's the holographic emergency doctor, and he ta- he acts like a person because yeah. he was programmed to. But there's no indication that he's like you know uh, a sentient being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that as well. But yeah, and that's fair. But but even so, next generation had gone into even with Moriarty for example and had dealt with uh the issues of holograms attaining sentience and even things like data for example. Uh if data can be considered a person, uh start next gen was definitely seeding uh where so where was ds9 at this point by the way uh this would have been ds9's third season okay given why i uh, given why the maquis is so no prominent. sorry is that right yeah third season okay yeah given that the why the monkey is so prominent still the dominion's not even mentioned i mean i think it would be funny to uh they go back home you know and they're all ready for 
you know, to deal with the Maquis once and for all, and nobody even cares because the Dominion War is over and everybody's trying to rebuild Cardassia. Like, that's going to be a mindfuck for them. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens, won't we? Yeah. So let's talk about the actual content of the pilot, because I I have some problems with it. I, I, I don't think it's as successful as it could be. It's a little slow in parts, and some of the action-adventure stuff yeah. is not super interesting. And I'm thinking specifically of when they're trying to escape the Ocompan City. Uh, that is yeah. just... That's not interesting to watch. Oh, no. We got to go back for... Okay, this is when they're going to kill Carrie, Harry Kim. Oh, cool. No, they rescued him. Oh, Chakotay's on the stairs. That's when they're going to kill Tom Parazov. He's going to die. Save. Oh, no. They both lived. Like, yeah, it, it, it does seem very padded because nothing... There are no actual consequences. It's just excitement for its own sake. It's true. I, I do... I don't know. I feel it's a little weird because... It, I don't feel like this episode is is self-aware enough to realize it's doing this, but mm. there is a certain... I mean, because I don't really understand the relationship between the, the Ocompans and the caretaker. I don't really... I mean, I do kind of get it, but mm. I never... I'm still not completely clear about, like, exactly what happened, uh, why the caretaker would be able to do this like what what's going on here what what are the Kazon? what's going on with yeah. them oh. uh, and, and there is an element to it which i like because it's confusing because our main characters don't know what's going on yeah but the show doesn't this this script in particular doesn't seem to be um aware that that's what it's doing well, it seems unclear because the script seems unclear about what's happening. It doesn't seem unclear because our audio, our, mem- our, yeah. our cast members don't know what's going on. Well, I guess, yeah, here's my question. The Kazon, actually, that's a perfect... Are they going to be one of the main... You know, the, is it a case where the ca- the crew sees them, they think they're this little desert power, they're just dealing with this one plane, one planet, they're not really going to be a major threat, but they piss them off, and it turns out they're actually one of the dominant powers in the Delta Quadrant, and they've made a, you know, they're the Klingons of this, and they've made a powerful, you know, at the end when he's like, you've made an enemy, are the Kazon going to reappear, and have has Janeway inadvertently pissed off a group that's going to cause her stress for the rest of the series or are they we never going to see these people again and it doesn't matter we we do see the Kazon again okay and and they do become a recurring threat um, okay for a while that's at least i mean if it doesn't have to be the full series and i know one thing i do know is that the borg do appear in this oh yes they do. yeah they, I, I i so i assume we're going to go very much into borg shit eventually so, but is it the kind yeah. of thing where then the, for example, just as in DS9, uh, the Cardassians and the Maquis were kind of the early things, but it blossomed into the Dominion. I assume we're going to be starting with the Kazon and then the Borg are going to start being more. It, it's Yeah, I mean, it, one of the things about Star Trek Voyager that, that they wanted to do was give an opportunity for a clean slate, get yeah. away from all of the alien species that, that have been developed over the 30 years of Star Trek that had been previous to this. And eventually what they do is it turns into the Borg show, and which the, is a little disappointing, but... Um, you know, it's. I, I don't want to give them uh, a pass for that, but I also don't want to yeah. say that. I mean, it's very difficult to come up with, uh, you know, iconic villains that you, or, or even just alien species that are going to be able to uh, grow and change and be really good developed over the course of a series or over a franchise. And, you know, TNG certainly had false starts, DS9 certainly yeah. had false starts. 
And Voyager's going to have false starts. Well, I guess I do feel like Kazon is pretty much Klingon with the serial numbers filed off. And, you know, both mm. in their look and in their name, I don't know it. And it which, almost, which is a problem, I think. And it doesn't, I assume they aren't setting us up for the ultimate revelation that the Kazon and the Klingon are the same species, no. except, you know, throughout. Yeah, so. It's a little bit of a failure of imagination, mm-hmm. and I think that they they recognize that. I mean, one of the things that I've always liked about everyone that worked on Star Trek Voyager is they're very open to say when they made mistakes yeah. and what they were doing wrong, and the Kazon are are one of them. I mean, the, the, yeah. it's weird, because I never actually picked up on this when I was watching the show, but there is a throwaway line in this episode that they're a sect of the Kazon. They're the Kazon Ugla, okay. and there's this whole idea that the Kazon are not really a unified empire that we're okay. used to seeing like the Romulans or the Cardassians or whoever they are more akin to gangs okay and so there's all these different sects of Kazon that kind are, of like the Orion syndicate for example sort of like that yeah and they don't really they don't do a uh. good job with that and and so when the Kazon eventually go away it's not necessarily that we're sad to see them go and I'll just leave it at that and I assume it's not a big yeah it, it, it's not a seasons long arc that we're yeah but but in terms of well i wouldn't say that either Hmm. in terms of how these alien races stack up to ones that you've seen before do i mean we've talked about the case and we've talked about the okampa a little bit there's the two main alien races that we see in this episode we don't know what species neelix is at this point are they memorable in any way do you you feel like for example the kazan are are you intrigued to find out more about the Kazon? I mean, I, I guess I, I, I'm hoping that the Kazon become interesting, but I mean, the, I keep wanting to call them the Opakas. I don't know what you just literally just said their name. And I, the Ocampas, the Ocampas, the Opakas. Oh my God. No, really? Like it, they just took other names and they just uh, rearranged them. Um, yeah, I, I I would not be surprised if beyond Kess we never see any of them again, and you know that would be fine. I wouldn't care, and uh, because uh, they're, and I, they're and I, the aliens of the week, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it didn't bother me that in next generation they're always going to a different planet, and we're going, you know, we're not going to see that species ever again. Um, occasional ones, we'll, but we'll have run-ins with the Kazon, and they'll be kind of. A major, or you know, we'll, we'll meet Neelix's people, for example. Uh, but again, given that the scope of the show is they're going southwest and they're just gonna c- come up upon stuff, and eventually, you know, w- we can assume that by season five they're gonna be much further along than they were in yeah. the first season, and so it almost seems set up to have all of these things that they leave behind. And I'm not bothered by that again because it's, it's, it's. I'm okay if we have a bunch of good adventures now. We did just get through Deep Space Nine. It's okay to have. I, I'm. I guess my biggest hope for Voyager is that it becomes a fun show. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I, yeah. I, I certainly there are part. There's periods of the show that are not as fun, mm-hmm. and you know, I actually think that the Michael Pillar seasons are the weakest. I, you know. It, it, he was doing a very particular type of Star Trek, telling particular types of stories that um, we've seen a lot of this stuff yeah. before. And I again, I get the impulse to do something different. I get the impulse to to not go too much into the characters in the pilot because, you know, Deep Space Nine was this very, very mystical character-oriented yeah. pilot. 
I just don't, you know, I, I don't know that the way that they told this story was yeah. that interesting. And yeah. again, you know, I, I think we, you know, we, we haven't really talked about the caretaker and I think that, you know, it is just one of those things where you look at it and you say, okay, well, this is just a Star Trek story of the week. Whereas if you look yeah. at the pilot of DS9, you had the the Prophets, you had the Bajorans, you had the Cardassians, you had all these sort of like intertwining stories that were obviously going to be um, spun out and, and continued on and on and on. Whereas you're right, like this is a very different show. This is a show, Deep Space Nine was stationary. It was a show that had to create recurring characters yeah. because they were staying on the space station and it would seem weird otherwise. Voyager is not that show. Voyager is almost the complete opposite of that. It is, again, a space show. It's a ship show. But it's not just – they're not just aimlessly exploring. They're also – they have a direction they're going in. And you're right. They're going to be leaving a lot of stuff behind because they're consistently moving in yeah. one direction. It's not incidental that the last show is named after a space station. This is literally called Voyager. It's literally a voyage. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't think that's incidental. And I think yeah. that's a really great point. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I think that, you know, Janeway's decision to some of it is, is I think, strong. And I think that that part of it is just that I don't know that they're selling it well enough. I mean, she makes yeah. a decision to blow up the caretaker array because she feels like that is uh, uh, the right thing to do. It's a little I, I feel like it's a little it's a little well, paternalistic isn't the right word, but you know, it's a little parental on her part to make that decision on behalf of the O'Coppins, just as it is, it was paternalistic or parental of the caretaker to do that. Yeah. She falls into the same trap. She critiqued the guy five minutes ago for. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also, I also feel like there's not enough argument on the bridge when she makes that decision. And that is the one false note of the pilot really for me. Everything else I can forgive as rough. I don't think there's anything internally consistent with what they do. That to me feels like there should have been a much bigger argument. And they kind of allied it by Chakotay saying, well, she's the captain, so she makes that decision for us. And she's like, dude, she's not your captain. You're a Maquis. Especially because Again, they have to deal with the fact that they're they, they aren't quite dealing enough with the fact that they really are alone. Because if they had gone through this exact situation in the Alpha Quadrant, what would end up happening? They would send a team of Federation people onto this planet to deal with the Okapa and to help them learn to be self sufficient. Sure, you know, yeah. they have five years until they so the Federation is going to and yes, there is no Federation. It's either them and they don't want to stay there until the Okapa are learn to become self-sufficient but yeah again you would think that you know that should be mentioned i I mean i do it should be mentioned i I would have rather that they cut out the you know chakot saved chakotay from the falling stairs you know well i think you're right i think that you're already seeing the tension of the show which is that you know part of the reason why i like star trek is that it does ask these very sort of hard philosophical questions about what the right thing to do is and I, I think that in this episode, especially the whole setup of Janeway deciding to destroy the caretaker array and their only chance to get home, there's no real examination of whether or not that's the right decision to make because it's so wrapped up in this this action adventure template. And, you know, I don't know if it was the right decision. I mean, maybe it was, but... I. She basically makes the decision because she doesn't want the caretaker array to fall into the hands of the Kazon. Yeah. And she's protecting the Ocomp and it's, it's a whole, you know, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few thing. And obviously Starfleet and, and the Federation does believe in that philosophy very strongly. 
But I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more discussion of that in the episode. I mean, I frankly would have liked them. T- I don't know why they didn't end up just hanging out by the array for another week. Again, Janeway's a scientist. She's not interested in looking at the this technology and trying to figure it out. And maybe they can figure out a way to repair it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's at... It's at least worth a shot. Even if they can't fix it, maybe they could learn a little bit of something. Maybe they can learn something to make their ship go faster. You know, it, it, it's it's not like the Kazon were about to come the next two, two you know day or something. I didn't I didn't get the sense that there was a time limit that they had to destroy it now or never. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah. Not a completely successful pilot, but it sounds like you're at least interested to see more. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's all a pilot is really designed to do. So I guess where I feel a little let down is learning that what brought them there is a little arbitrary. It's not as if, again, if the main plot were to deal with the caretaker and to figure out what their civilization was and are there other planets that are dealing with. Yeah, no, no, they're not interested in that. Yeah. It, 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 it is a Deus Ex Machina. Of, of, you yeah, know, it's just it is. Well, uh, you know, before we wrap this episode up, I mean, the, the one, and I saved the best for last, um, how you feeling about Tuvok? Eh. Okay. I like him. I, I, <laughs> no, I, he's, he's, I, I think I, Tim Russ gives a really good performance as a Vulcan. Yeah. And, yeah. We were talking a couple weeks ago about people playing Vulcans poorly and people playing them well and, I think he under I, I can definitely see that he is feeling emotions, especially for example, when she's talking about you know, your family, oh, they were worried about you. Well, that's illogical. Well, they miss you. And he's like, Yeah, I miss them. You know, that that is he you know, maybe he isn't willing to admit wor- admit worry, but he does still admit attachments and missing and, and feeling lonely and those kind of a thing. And Again, that's very different even from Spock, who was probably a little older than I think Tuvok is intended to be. No, younger. Younger? Spock was younger. In the original series? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Tuvok's supposed to be like 100 years old. Oh. Well, then never mind. Yeah. Which isn't clear in the episode to be. Okay. You know, to, yeah. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing you for not knowing that. And I might also be going with uh, seeing Tuvok last night at the very beginning of his series with you know, my image of Spock and the, you know, the most recently I've seen Spock was him, you know, as in the movies, for example. So, you know, obviously I'm thinking of an older Leonard Nimoy and a younger Tim Ross. Yeah. So that, that's probably part of my, yeah, that's certainly true as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, we are ready to go on this voyage with all of you. Oh, we will reveal what we're talking about next week. But before we do that, if you have any thoughts on the pilot episode of Star Trek Voyager Caretaker, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which supports this podcast and our other podcasts tuning in. We are moving along with the X-Files. This week, we're talking about the episodes The Jersey Devil and Shadows. So go over to tuninginshow.com and check those out in two days and subscribe and you'll get those in your podcatcher of choice when they are released. Social media, we're on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Trek About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek About, like Ajax Boogie, who left us one a few days ago. And once again, <laughs> it's a straight person upset that gay people have opinions that are not straight people's opinions. Uh, so he or she says, these guys love Star Trek, yet constantly have problems with everything about it. <laughs> I don't 
think that's true. Well, you know how people we, who are younger can't understand critiquing something you like. They say they love the progressive message of Star Trek, but are offended by the straights. This podcast was about Star Trek, and around season four of DS9, it became a springboard for self-victimized commentary and open hostility toward heterosexuals. I wanted Star Trek and got LGBTQ Fox News. <laughs> so this is uh, ridiculous on its face. Um I don't think that I've ever said that I'm offended by straight people. That's the right wing word of choice. They think that getting, you know, critiquing something is offense when especially, I mean, right wingers are fucking babies. It's very possible that, that, uh, uh, Milo, you know, left this comment. Faganopolis. Yeah. Um, can I say Faganopolis? I I can say it. you, You can say it. I I I want I want to read this because really this is our opportunity to 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 put this to bed. Um I'm not saying we're never going to talk about LGBT issues on this podcast ever again because you know we are two gay men and we're living in Trump's America, but uh for me what this boils down to and and Richard and I had a clarifying talk about this off mic a few days ago, but straight people are not generally and I say generally because there certainly are a lot of straight people that are very self-aware that I enjoy very mm. much, uh, are not generally speaking sort of equipped or, or used to uh, examining themselves in the same way that mm. a lot of minorities are. And, and you know, minorities of all stripes have to uh, come to terms with the ways in which their subculture interacts with the larger culture. And when you are a part of the larger culture and you have no subculture, you're not used to hearing other viewpoints. And so I, I think that that is the spirit in which I bring this kind of thing up on the podcast. And I'm disappointed that we have apparently offended this person, but I would also like to say that uh, I, I don't, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) You're not super disappointed. You're going to be, have, you're not losing sleep over it. Um, yeah, uh, there is has been a lot written about people who looking at the other right so the other in this case being gay men uh the subject who is looking at the other who is heterosexuality is not used to being the object of analysis and a lot of times that can make people very uncomfortable with that i mean i i, I don't know i i, I we're looking at star trek as an object of analysis. And for us, we see the, uh, we are going to take this from a queer perspective. If you don't like it, there are, you know, go listen to mission log. And, uh, you know, if you really don't like it, give us a thousand bucks to our Patreon and we will change our content to fit you. Um, thousand dollars, thousand dollars a month. I I would say more like, uh, no, I'd say changing is worth $12,000. Really? I would like to make a yearly. I would like both of us to make a yearly salary on that if we're going to change our content. If we're going to sell out, let's sell out. Okay, fine. If you want to sell out, make us an offer that should be six figures, and then we will change to meet your uh, nice little straight worldview, which we will not challenge whatsoever. You know, yeah. you're right. Love actually is a great movie. The reunion is not considered a hate crime. You know what? I'm really happy there is a Will and Grace reunion on. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what the world needs a straight queer eye for the straight guy reboot. You are right, everybody. Well, next week, we are continuing our journey into Star Trek Voyager by talking about the episodes Parallax and Time and Again.